Hello, my name is David Turner and this is another episode of Lunar Poetry Shorts and today I'm joined by the editor of Lunar Poetry Magazine, Paul McMenemy. Hello Paul. Hello David. Hello. This is uh, attempt two. We recorded this yesterday and I fucked it up. So we're going to try and not recreate what happened yesterday as hilarious as it yeah. was. Um, it it was w- wasn't too bad, it's just I sort of sounded like a Scottish Dalek. So. Yeah, I... I'm seeing. I'm tempted to put that one out now. You've said it. Now you've cast yourself as Scottish. <laughs> um, we're going to start with a poem. Once the siren's gone past. Right. Perfect. In my spare time, I like to sift around South London, being Scottish, doing Scottish things, like. Pronouncing all the consonants in Holborn and none of the vowels. Like handing over brightly coloured crayon scented banknotes and staring straight ahead. Like bemoaning the paucity of ambition of London chip shop owners. God. Attic, plain sausage, battered sausage, the bedroom farce of the Savoy, lolling against sweaty glass, lewd as a Labrador's tongue. Scampy. Like buying those two litre bottles of iron brew that are always on special offer. Yes, those are for me. A Scotchman must imbibe at least one pint of iron brew per 24 hour period with its combination of sugar, caffeine and quinine, which is why nobody in Scotland ever gets malaria, in order to counteract the alcohol naturally occurrent in his bloodstream. We do not drink more than you. We just mean it. The main exports of the Scotch are whisky, resentment, second division footballers, second hand squaddies, whisky and politicians. All of our vagrants started out as government special advisors. The Scotch are a querulous race. Your Scotchman does not realise that certain words are considered improper in polite society. Words such as cunt and socialism. If a Scotchman calls you a cunt, do not be alarmed. He is probably just being friendly. Yes, we are chippy, but we will die before you of heart disease, lung disease, liver disease, brain disease, or some other lifestyle-deleted illness. Poverty is a lifestyle. Hopelessness is a lifestyle. We will die young, though we won't look it, and we will haunt your park benches 
frightening your dogs and children long after you are gone. Faithful, Greyfriars Bobag, growling in an incomprehensible accent. <laughs> Thank you very much, Paul. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Um, yeah, I'm all right. Thanks for coming back and trying again. No, it's fine. I mean, I say that as if, you know, yeah. <laughs> this is some sort of job or something, and as if we weren't going to just go and drink cider in the park anyway. Mm. Um, first question is always, why poetry? Uh, all right. Um, I'll try and answer this better than I did yesterday then. Shh, don't mention yesterday. Oh, right, right. Unless you're going to do a Dalek impression again. <laughs> <laughs> um, aye, so, right, um, so this was the joke answer yesterday, but it is pretty much how I started, which was that as a teenager, in order to pass English exams, um, there was a creative writing element. And be, be, being a you know a smart young man, I, I quickly realized that poems were a lot shorter than short stories. Um, so I thought, well, I'll just knock up a few of those. Um, I kind of got into it a bit. And I had a very good English teacher who lent me a um, an anthology of 20th century poetry. Um, I think it was just called um, English Poetry 1900-1975. It was edited by George Macbeth, who was quite a good poet in his own right. But um, And so I read the whole of that and um, yeah, I, that got me into it. And I'm probably still indebted to the sort of mid-20th century... Um, British poets um, to a slightly unhealthy degree. Um, what I think is great about poetry is that it is a very effective way of communicating in a way that is at once immediate and also a kind of slow release, um, if if you see what I mean. Um, the way things are phrased, you know, the, the oral effects and so on, um, can can make something hit immediately, but um, the beauty of poetry is that it will also linger in the mind. And I think that's a point often missed with spoken word, isn't it? That, mm. of course, it's a very immediate form mm-hmm. of poetry. Well, a bit looser term than poetry, but the best spoken word, well, no, sorry, some of the richer spoken yeah. word will stay with you for the following week or two weeks or maybe perhaps yeah. longer and it will develop in your mind and um, maybe that's a bit more of an obvious point to make about page poetry yeah but I mean certainly with um, page poetry if a poem tells you everything that it's got to say the first time you read it then there's not much point in it yeah you know um, you may as well write prose it pays better <laughs> um, with, with spoken word um, it can be slightly different as yeah. in you can um, you know, you can be more direct, but it still has to have something to it in order to make it stick in the mind. Yes. Otherwise, it's just someone telling you their opinions for a bit, which, you know, you can go to any pub and get that. Mm. As I said at the start, you are the editor of Lunar Poetry magazine. Um, so when and why did you start the magazine? Um, right, so a few years ago, I, um, when I lived in Glasgow, started... Um, I wanted to um, make a magazine because there weren't really... What I wanted was something cheap and regular because um, there are lots of poetry magazines about and lots of them are very good, but none of them come out more regularly than about four times a year, and most of them it's fewer times than that. Um, And they tend to be a little bit on the dear side. 
I mean, the thing is that you can pick up a sort of 800-page paperback novel for not much more than, you know, a 50-page poetry magazine featuring people you may never have heard mm. of, you know. And that's kind of a problem for poetry in general. Um, so I thought something cheap and regular would be good. I started um, with a magazine which was basically printed off uh, my computer. Um, and... Um, it sort of turned into one of these fanzines, of which there were many, which start up for a couple of issues and then yeah. kind of and disappear. And it was weekly, wasn't it? Um, yeah, well, the um, second one I did, the, f the first one I did in Glasgow was supposed to be monthly, but there's yeah. only one, so it's kind of a moot point. <laughs> um, yeah, um, a couple of years later in London, I started a weekly mm. one. We ran for 10 issues um, before I realised that that was an awful idea. Um, so I went away for a bit um, and came back. Um, with the monthly magazine, which was sort of professionally printed, um, slightly more expensive, but um, a lot thicker and um, yeah, gen just generally better. Um, I kind of figured that basically um, appearances are kind of important, these things, and so people will pay £3 for a sort of small paperback book sort of thing with a spine and all the rest of it. Um, rather than one pound for something that I printed off my computer myself. Mm. And uh, first direct reference to the conversation we tried to have yesterday was that I think it's quite a good comparison, uh, Lunar Poetry to uh, Rising, which is Tim Wells' mm. uh, zine-style magazine, mm. which he gives away free now. Yeah. Um, and it's a photocopied staple yeah. thing homemade, but it's very high-quality poetry, mm. usually. Um, but it's... Odd. It's, it's yeah. It, it would be very difficult to charge money for that because it doesn't seem like an an object to to buy in a way. Whereas you know, lunar poetry, you've had that look now, where it looks like an object that people are willing to yeah. invest in. Well, see, th th this was kind of the thing. Um, originally, I had the idea that well, you know, it doesn't really matter what it looks like. It's the content yes. that's important. But of course, that isn't actually. True, unfortunately, yeah. the way most people see things. And Especially so, yeah. when you're trying to sell the first copy to yeah, someone. Yeah. You know, well, that's the thing. You know, I mean, something like Rising, which has a reputation, has been around for 20 years or something. Yeah. Um, longer than that, in fact. Um, I mean, I imagine you probably could sell it now if you wanted to. But um, Yeah, maybe we should take a second poem. Okay. Um, all right. So um, I um, have a poem featured in an upcoming anthology of poems about dance um, bizarrely enough um, yeah, when I told David this yesterday he laughed um, I, 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 apparently, I, I just I mean, I, I think I have a natural dancer's physique but apparently <laughs> he doesn't agree um, so this is now the second time I've ever read this out, um, so I'll try and do a bit of a better job than I did um, last time um, it's a, sorry, it's the Emma Press Anthology of Dance and it's um, launching on Thursday at the Rambert Dance Studio, I think. I think that's what it's yeah. called. It's in Upper Ground. Is in that London. the 14th? Thursday uh, the 14th of May? Yeah, if that's Thursday is, yeah. If you're listening to this... <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, the Thursday yeah, so, yeah, yeah. will be the 14th, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, all right, uh, this is called Scottish Country Dancing. An accordion strains through a speaker, mutton through mincer, slops on the sprung floor we skip over, trying not to sticky up our sand shoes, scuffed white sergeants dashing off the wall bars, 
gay as gardens we step in to strip the willow, tying knots and notional osiers and ourselves. Each dancer dodges down the aisle, slaloms and slings, pachinko balls in 6-8 time. It was the closest dancing came to the fling and hurl of shinty, or those games the teachers prized us out of. A joyful thing we hadn't known existed, stripped of shame. Thank you very much. So, the latest news for Luna Poetry is that you have a crowdfunding campaign up on indiegogo.com to raise funds to open a dedicated poetry bookshop in Waterloo in South London, which will be only the third dedicated poetry bookshop in the country and the first in the, or the only the one only in London, one in London yeah. yeah which is just seems ridiculous but maybe you could tell us a bit about that yeah sure so um yeah there are um there are as far as i know at the moment um i may hear differently at some point but as far as i know there are only two poetry bookshops in the whole of the uk one in hay on why um the uk's um dedicated literature ghetto that is where the books live um also, far away from people. Is it Hay on Y that can't be a real place, can it? Yeah, Hay yeah, on Y is just a mar- marquee, isn't it, with a bench <laughs> where Irving Welsh goes to sit occasionally or J.K. Rowling. And they had their own poetry bookshop in a marquee. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. It's the only time I've seen any evidence of Hay on <laughs> Yeah. No, no, it's, it's, it's a tent city, I think, um, <laughs> most of the time. But yeah. Um, and there is, um, I've recently found out there is now um, a poetry bookshop in Glasgow as well called Tell It Slant. Um, which if you live around there or visiting you should check out Um, it's on Renfrew Street I think Um, but yeah there isn't um, a poetry bookshop in London and hasn't been for some years and that seems um, kind of scandalous to me Um, so yeah poetry is extremely bad at um, selling itself is extremely, extremely bad at reaching people. Um, I mean, there's a big controversy um, last year uh, when Jeremy Paxman was um, chairing the uh, Forward Prize. Um, I say a big scandal. I have no idea if anyone not involved in poetry actually noticed. But, <laughs> Probably not. You know, it, it was big on the poetry Twitter bit, you know. Um, but basically he said something along the lines of um, he thought poets were only talking to other poets. Now, in terms of content, I think that's a ludicrous thing to say. However, in terms of how we actually market poetry and how we see poetry, um, he's definitely got a point because at the moment, most poetry books, you know, if if um, if one day I had a poetry book um, published, and obviously um, I should say there's a certain amount of self-interest in what I'm trying to do here as far as um, making poetry more widely available, but if I have a poetry book published, who, who, who's going to read it? A few other poets, baffled family members, and, you know, the sort of a section of the hundred or so people in the UK who actually have the time and money to keep track of what's going on in poetry. You see, the problem is that most poetry in the UK is published by um, tiny publishers that will maybe only do at most half a dozen um, books or pamphlets a year. Um, none of this stuff ends up in bookshops. The stuff that ends up in bookshops is a tiny and, frankly, unrepresentative fragment of the British poetry scene as a whole. Um, what gets into bookshops is generally, um, you know, your poetry section in a bookshop is shelf of classics, about five shelves of World War One anthologies. Um, 
a couple of things that have won prizes and a couple of people who you may vaguely recognise the names of from turning up on Radio 4 occasionally. All published by the same five big publishers, um, Faber, Carsonet, Blood Axe, etc. Most of the interesting stuff happening in, in poetry is being published by tiny publishers who aren't in bookshops, who often aren't on Amazon, um, either just because it doesn't seem worth their while or for ethical reasons, um, and whose books are only available either from their own websites or um, at readings, which makes um, it incredibly difficult to keep track of, because how do you keep track of all these publishers? Um, even if you're interested, as I am, and you know, I think I'm reasonably knowledgeable, but I still keep finding things that were published a year or two, or two ago that I'd never heard of. Um, so, for someone just trying to get into poetry, who doesn't have, you know, doesn't already have a reasonable sort of knowledge, then it's pretty much impossible. And we've spoken before, haven't we, about the in order to raise the profile of poetry books, if we're just going to isolate it at the sales of books at the moment because we're mm. talking about a bookshop, um, in order to raise the profile in the minds of the public, the books themselves should be more prominent. Yeah. They shouldn't seem like a bookshop's dirty secret, yeah. which they do seem at the moment. We were in Foils recently, yeah. look, you know, hanging out in the poetry section, which is relatively large compared to other bookshops, yeah. but it's still pitifully small, really, and is dominated, as you said, by... There are countless books by Wendy Cooper or Caroline Duffy yeah. or Benjamin, Benjamin Zeph Knight and mm. World War One anthologies, which are all, you know, standalone. Yeah. They're good works on their own, but you don't need six copies yeah. of each book on See, shelves taking up space when there could be, you know, uh, six books by Caroline, Caroline Duffy may be taking the place of 15 pamphlets by yeah. new and up and coming. Yeah. And it's not even just about, it's not about disregarding established books. No. It's um, just giving room to... Yeah, no, I mean, like, um, yeah, it's not that the big publishers ba publish bad poetry, although I'd say that they do publish a sort of fairly safe kind of section of poetry. Yes, but there's yeah, no risk-taking there, is there? Yeah, um, most of the interesting stuff, well, the stuff I find most interesting is happening outside of the big publishers. But yeah, that's not the problem. The problem is that they're the only things that get into yeah. bookshops. And yeah, I mean, Foils in London, um, big bookshop in the middle of London, has probably the biggest poetry section of anywhere any bookshop in the UK, but that's only really big as far as size goes. And yet, as you say, it just means that instead of one or two copies of um, the latest uh, Simon Armitage, they've got six column, um, copies, and that's kind of not much use, um, frankly. No, and also the point I've made before, also that. You, these this kind of uh, stocking of sh of shelves by bookshops like that only reinforce the public's view of yeah. poetry, don't they? Because yeah, yeah. if if you don't like what's being printed mm. in the Guardian hmm. or yeah. being spoke, being read out on Radio Four, yeah. you're not going to like. You're not going mind is not going to be changed by the poetry section yeah. foils, even if they do have um, new uh, pamphlets and booklets by people like Kate Tempest. Mm. They're quite, you know, they're all on the bottom shelf. They're not prominent. They're not really. I mean, the actually, I will say the Foils Bookshop, the smaller version on the South Bank, does a better job yeah. of keeping of holding up new poets more prominently on their shelves. But it's still only a couple of people. And if you have any sort of deeper 
uh, knowledge of the poetry scene, you know very, very well yeah, that that's was, not actually what's going on. As yeah, such. that's you know. uh, it's not um, it's not great. Um, and yeah, I mean uh, there was um, so for the last few years there's been a thing called um, Free Verse, the Poetry Book Fair running in central London. Um, it's an annual thing, one day thing. Um, I volunteered at it last year. There were around 60 publishers there, I mean big ones um, like uh, Faber-Carson and so on, and lots of these smaller publishers all um, having a desk each in a sort of big um, hall. And hundreds of people came, found lots of really interesting stuff, spent lots of money. There's definitely, if people see this stuff, then they will buy it it's um, or at least read it or be interested you know um, and I think if you have the opportunity even if you don't care for yeah this stuff which is generally promoted in the UK you will find something that you will like but it's getting access to this and this is why we need centers um, for poetry and not centers as in just say libraries or kind of sort of semi kind of official academic kind of spaces but actual shops um, performance spaces and things like that um, places where poetry is treated in the same way as everything else is something that be bought and sold etc something which um, you know unromantic as it seems is not some sort of special flower but it's just a thing mm. like any other thing and so somewhere where you can go in have a coffee have a look at a poetry book is without feeling like you need some special password is something that we, I really think we need. Yeah, I mean the 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 spaces that um, the established spaces now in London certainly for going and reading poetry and finding poetry books are very stale. It's quite mm. a you feel like you're in a library yeah. all the time, and that, and that isn't the way literature is presented a lot of the time. Of course, no. it does exist; they do exist in those uh, centres as well. But you know, you can most cafes. Most sort of smaller independent cafes now have reading corners, but they're not mm. silent reading corners. Yeah, they're no. just some, something to go and be encouraged to read. And um, maybe actually be a good time now to talk about the, the venue. Yeah, where, yeah. where, where um, the, uh, the, sure. the shop will be. Yeah, so um, it's um, a place called Eclectic Art Lab um, in Waterloo. Um, it's I apostrophe K L E C T I K because it is. <laughs> and um, it's an art gallery come cafe come performance venue. Um, it's where uh, David, you and Lizzie Palmer have um, your monthly spoken words evening silence found a tongue. Yes. I'm telling you this like it's news. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a good job because it's a week on Tuesday so I yeah. better remember. <laughs> um, and it's, um, it's uh, has lots of other performances and various things, um, art and also has interesting exhibitions and I say during the day it's cafe, bar, does good food, um, fairly inexpensive, very friendly, um, with a nice garden. And so yeah, they've given us a corner of that space to um, set the bookshop up in. And the idea is that yeah, it's a friendly space where there are poetry books and you can read poetry books and buy poetry books without feeling that you're in a library or, you know, um, that kind of setting. Um, and it's quite nice as well because Edward, who runs Eclectic, is very keen on uh, getting artists and writers and mm. performers to work together. There's a yeah. lot of collaborative work happening down there. So we, although we're talking now about having a dedicated centre for poetry to 
by and through mm-hmm. poetry, yeah. there would also be the chance for collaborative work yes. and workshops and the general space at the venue will encourage and allow yes. a crossover work between different writers and different artists as well. And yeah. I think it will, will it, it's the perfect setting to uh, highlight to a public which maybe aren't as familiar with poetry, and even those that are, that it's a very flexible form. And uh, yeah, I think it's a great space. It works very well for art, but also works very well for our spoken word night um, that Paul just mentioned. Yeah, so we, uh, I won't waste any time on this recording explaining too much about the Indiegogo campaign. You can just go to indiegogo.com, search Lunar Poetry Bookshop, and you, there you find out, well, Paul's trying to raise £5,000 for the initial setting up costs and running and uh, stocking of the stock bookshop. Stock mainly, yeah. And stock mainly. Um, also, on, that's what I mean. I'm not going to waste any time listing what your money gets you in terms of uh, what do they call them rewards uh, uh, perks perks they're there. called on Indiegogo so if you donate um, different levels different amounts of money get you different perks um, and they're mainly to do with the, the bookshop and the magazine um, but all the information is on the website anyway I definitely urge you to uh, I keep getting banned by Facebook for spamming everyone with the link to the website so if everyone just donates some money five pound each or whatever and then I can stop doing that and not get banned from Facebook because I'm such a social media whore yeah I, you know I won't be able to live my life without Facebook mm. um, that's probably it for the yeah. bookshop isn't it uh, yeah yeah so maybe we'll take a third and final poem so this is called it's not the economy and don't call me stupid the markets are nervous the markets are jittery the markets are apprehensive The markets are Disney-eyed mammals whose mothers have just been shot. The markets are Victorian ladies in too tight corsets. The markets are David Copperfield, Oliver Twist, Nicholas Nickleby, Little Nell and Tiny Tim. The markets are jumpy. The markets fear. The markets are PewDiePie playing Five Nights at Freddy's. The markets would laugh their pinstriped asses off at how dated that reference already is, but the markets have no memory and no sense of humour. The markets are sensitive. The markets are just going through a bit of an emotional time right now, so, you know. The markets are bullish, or something like that. The markets have done eight Jaeger bombs and three lines of coke, and have you ever been to a strip club? The markets don't usually smoke, but if you have a spare. The markets are, seriously, we should go to a strip club. The markets just spilled your pint. The markets, are we going to a fucking strip club or what? The markets do not like uncertainty. The markets do not like. Three years ago, Mitt Romney said, corporations are people. Oh, how we laughed. (laughs) cheers Paul Um, I don't know we have to be careful where we go now because me and Paul are so fucked off after the the election we've done nothing but moan for a few days Um, let's try and avoid that yeah bastard bit of news yeah, um, no, yeah we, we shouldn't do that you know I mean like you know if, if Tories want to donate to Bindigo well no no, <laughs> I, no because it, the way I explained it this morning was that 
if you're left-leaning, this is a great project to get yeah. involved in to support the arts and to provide a platform. Yeah, because um, the arts are going to be more important yeah. than ever now. But if you're a Tory, hopefully one day you get so rich you can turn your back on all your friends <laughs> and only stop Steve, Steve Larson novels and sell celebrity autobiographies. <laughs> so there's a silver lining for everyone there, win-win. Yeah. Um, when, sorry, when does the Indiegogo thing end? Uh, right, so it's a 30 day campaign and it started last Wednesday, so uh, uh, early in June. Yeah, so, um, so... So there'll be a payday between now and then. There's another three weeks or something at least, isn't there? Uh, three and a half weeks. Yeah. Um, anyway, just get do it today. Whenever you're listening to this is the appropriate time to do it. Yeah. Um, there, will be, there will be a link directly to the Lunar Poetry Bookshop campaign page below this um, video uh, until the campaign ends at which time we'll take it off uh, check out www.lunarpoetry.co.uk to find out what's going on in general with the magazine uh, you can find out all the reviews live and uh, written well they're all written because they're on the website live events I mean yeah yeah um, live and, pr and print live and print that's yeah. it uh, Lunar Poetry um, has focuses a lot on spoken word and live events mm. uh, so there's some great stuff on, on the website about that also come to silence found a tongue twitter fuck I bother this already silent underscore tongue <laughs> is what we are on twitter where you can find out information about when our nights are uh, Paul attends all of those There'll be, there's always lots of information about lunar poetry um, Thank you, Paul. All right, cheers, Dave. Cheers, there's nothing else, is there? No. There's never anything else. There's nothing else.